this by the remainders, taken from the book of Romans. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 25. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather of the the flesh, is covered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who do not only are circumcised, but, also, but are also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Maria. We're going to continue our series um, through Romans. 
So if you can, if I could ask you to get uh, your Bibles out and turn to Romans chapter 4. It's the entire chapter that we'll go through, but let's pray that God will speak to us uh, through this passage. Lord, we give you thanks for your living word. We thank you that you love to minister and serve us. And Lord, we pray that through these words that you would build up our faith in you, that we might see the greatness of your grace poured out upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wonder when the last time that you felt kind of out of place, out of place, you felt like you uh, were at a place where you didn't belong. I remember the first time that I went to Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong Club. I think I went with a polo shirt. It wasn't a button-up shirt. I can't remember whether it was because I was wearing a short sleeve or something, but quietly somebody brought me a jacket. And I thought, oh, man, I don't belong here. <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to Chang Sitim School's a speech day. Um, and a week later, Lam Kamo School, uh, Thanksgiving service and all this. And I was seated right in the front row, you know, with the former principals and other uh, people who are near, near and dear uh, to these institutions. And I felt out of place. And it's because, really, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I get invited to these things. And I feel often out of place, that I'm treated better than I uh, should. It should be that I, 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 I deserve. And I think being in the new creation will be just like that. We'll be treated way, way better than we deserve. In fact, everything that we will receive there, you know, the honor and the glory, the responsibility that we'll have as God's new created people, will feel like we don't deserve it. And that is true. We will get things that we do not deserve. None of us, as we live in the new creation, none of us will be able to say, oh, I deserve this. I earned my place here. Last week, Paul declared that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And in chapter 4, in our chapter, he explains that the justification by faith is not a new thing, that it has always been God's plan. And what's what marked God's people is not the works, it's not circumcision, it's not anything else, but it is faith. Faith marks out God's people. And then he reveals to us, furthermore, how to strengthen our faith, how to uh, uh, grow in our faith. Well, the great reformer, Martin Luther, became a monk so that he can have peace and rest with God. So he entered the Augustinian order, and he became obsessed with what he had to do, with all the things uh, that he had to do. He, read, uh, he said he writes that he fasted many, many times, three days, a week, uh, uh, three days without water, well, not even a little bit of water. He went to confessions fastidiously. He uh, spent hours reading the Bible and praying. He writes, If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, and reading, and other work. You know, because he felt the weight of the law, he didn't love God. He writes that he actually hated God. That is until he found the gospel, until he found the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It set him free. And when he discovered that it is by faith he is made righteous, this is what he writes about that change. I felt myself to be reborn. 
and to have gone through the open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning, whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became, an in, to me, inexpressibly sweet in great, uh, greater love. In short, Martin Luther was set free by those words, justification by faith alone, by free gift. The righteousness is given as a free gift to those who trust in Jesus. And because justification by faith is such a bedrock of the Reformation, we think that maybe Martin Luther invented it. Of course not. He discovered what the Bible had always taught. In fact, it's not just uh, go back to the New Testament. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament and see how Paul then introduces this idea in this chapter, in verse 3. He says, what does the Scripture say? Verse 3, what does the Scripture say? The Bible had taught justification by faith from the very beginning all the way to the call of Abraham, call of God's people, setting aside God's people. Abraham was justified by faith, and he quotes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that credited to him as righteousness. And this is the context. Although Abraham was called out of Ur and out of his uh, homeland in Genesis chapter 12, although God told him that he would be a great nation, that he would be a blessing to all nations, that he would have heirs, uh, he didn't get any land. He was still uh, childless. And so in in chapter 14, right before chapter 15, is when he conquered uh, to rescue Lot. Uh, He went and conquered four different cities, four different kings. And then he came back victorious. But that must have probably made him think, right? He came back and he thought, well, these cities that I just rescued, none of them are mine, even though it's in the land of Canaan. Although God had promised me a nation, that it would become a great nation. I don't even have an heir. I don't have any piece of land here in the land of Canaan. And he was 80 at the time. And so when God appears to him in chapter 15, the first thing that he says to God is, God, I I still don't have an heir, and my slave is going to inherit all the things that you built. And God then tells him that his slave will not be the heir. No, it will be a son, his flesh and blood. And it was nighttime, so he took him outside of the tent, and he says, look at the stars. Your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. And chapter 15, 6, then is Abraham's response. He believed Yahweh God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed in God's promise, and that faith saved Abraham. So Paul says, you know, Abraham, the father of Jewish people, no, it wasn't the works that saved him. It was his faith that saved him. And he then goes to David, the the second biggest figure in Judaism, right? In verse 7, he quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is, is the one whose sin 
Uh, the Lord will never count against him. And that word count is the same word as credited. You see, it's the same principle at work. David goes on. I mean, you know David's sin. David goes on in verses 3 and 4 about the psychological torture that he went through because of his sin. His sin weighs upon him. His bones are wasting away. He can't sleep at night. He's groaning all day and night. How does, his, how does he work off his guilt? Um, how does he pay for it? He doesn't. Verse 5, he confesses his sins. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. When he turned to God and said, forgive me, God freely forgave. He was saved by faith in God, God's forgiveness, God's mercy for him. And I hope you can see the scandal of what God is doing here because God is declaring sinners righteous. God is not oblivious to the things that David had committed. God knows, but then he calls this sinner righteous on account of his faith. And Paul knows the scandal, and so he writes it out. He spells it out in verse 5. God justifies the ungodly. It's not because uh, they were righteous they were justified. No, God justifies the ungodly. God declares these ungodly people righteous in his eyes because of their faith. And as we heard last week, God can only do this. God can only be just and justifier because he sent his son, Jesus, to pay for our sins but the thing is, this justification goes further than a pardon from our sin, the declaration that we will not be punished. No, it, gets, it goes uh, more than that. It goes further than that. I mean, he's been using the financial term, credited to him as righteousness. It's as if in the bank account that he has, what's been credited, what has been put in, well, it's not just a blank slate. It's righteousness. It's what Jesus has done. His works, his righteousness has been credited in our account. God counts our faith and he credits us with righteousness, what Jesus has done. The sinners are credited as righteous. So we're, we're restored with our relationship back to God. We become heirs of his eternal kingdom. You know, in, in Psalm 8, you know, the psalmist says, uh, Who is man that you, you made us a little lower than the angels? But now something has changed. We will rule the angels. We will rule the world because we are being credited with what Jesus has done. Our status has changed because our, of our faith in Jesus and what he has done. And by the way, this is one of the main differences between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. The Catholic Church still believes that the declaration of righteousness is not enough, that God has to infuse this righteousness in us, that we have to become righteous in order for us to be acceptable to God, which is why the purgatory exists, because you need the process of purgation. You need the, 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 to be cleansed, to be accepted 
by God. And the, the problem is that such an addition to this doctrine is a subtraction. It's saying, actually, what Jesus has done is not enough. It needs to be added to it. That God's grace, shown through, through grace, the, the, righteousness, the, 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 the righteousness that Jesus gives us is not enough. It's a subtraction, not an addition. So, friends, don't look to another way. There is no other religion that can save us. There is no goodness and works that can save us. There is no other way to be right with God. There has never been another way. It's always been by faith in God's provision, in God's word. Only the faith in God's salvation saves us from the very beginning. This, of course, means that the faith is the marker, mark of God's people from all along, which means that it's not that Abraham is not just the father of Jewish people, the circumcised, but also the Gentiles, father of all those who believe. Now, Paul starts, started this section. If you look at verse 1, he calls Abraham... Uh, their forefather according to their flesh. Forefather according to the flesh. Jewish people were Abraham's descendants and their flesh proved it because every man, every boy was circumcised on the eighth day just as uh, Abraham was circumcised. And from then on, circumcision became the mark of being part of God's people, belonging to God's people. And penalty for evading circumcision was no less than being turned away from God's community. If a Gentile wanted to eat the Passover, they had to be circumcised. If Philistines, the, the, the biggest enemies of Israel in the Old Testament, well, they were often just called uncircumcised. Even nominal Jews today practice circumcision because they say, well, I come from Abraham. I belong to God's chosen people. To be part of God's people for many means that they have to be circumcised. But Paul asks, which came first, circumcision or faith, righteousness given through faith? Verse 10, under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? The answer was that Abraham was declared righteous in Genesis 15, at least 14 years before Genesis 17 came. Genesis 17 is when the covenant of circumcision is given. He was declared righteous before he was given the circumcision. You see, Paul writes in verse 11 was that the, the, the circumcision is a seal of righteousness which he already had by faith. While he was still uncircumcised, Paul then says, which makes Abraham not just father of the circumcised, but father of the uncircumcised, but who believe, and also the circumcised, and who also believe. Father, Abraham is the father of all those who believe. He says it again in verse 16, if your Bible is open. The mark of being included in God's people is not outward mark of circumcision. It's not even good works. It is faith, faith in what God has done. And so Paul ends this section in verses 23 to 24 
that this is the declaration, this declaration of Abraham's righteousness was not for him alone, but it was for us as well, for all those who will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because although what we believe is different, Abraham uh, believed in God's promise of an heir. We believe in Jesus and his provision, um, his death and resurrection for us. But faith is the the distinguishing mark of those who belong to God's community. So before I go on to the next point, let me just clarify this a little bit because it can be uh, abused. Uh, It's not just faith in our God that justifies. Apostle James, right? James tells us that demons know that God exists and they shudder. It's not just vague sense that God exists. No, what is this faith that saves? What's faith in God's Word? It's faith in God's revealed Word. It's the faith in God's promise. God made this promise to Abraham and he believed God has revealed himself in the word of God through Jesus Christ, and he promises salvation to all those who believe. As we come come to believe in that promise, that faith saves. And that faith marks us as a member of God's family. It was a mistake to think that circumcision was the mark. It's a mistake to think that the good works was the mark of being God's people. But... We constantly backslide on this, don't we? It's understandable because everything about the world is works. Everything about the world is outward signs. You are, you are someone in this world if you have the right education, if you live in the right place, if you have the right character, if you have the right job, if you uh, wear the right clothes, right bags, <laughs> right watch or whatever it is. You are someone if you have these things. And so we work so hard to get them, to mark ourselves uh, outwardly. And we do that in the faith as well, in the church as well. We try our hardest to distinguish ourselves from other people by doing the Christian things. We're programmed to do so by the world. And so we start comparing ourselves, and we sometimes feel good and sometimes feel bad about the progress that we're making. And the insecurities set in. Oh, I I don't know if I'm good enough to be a Christian. I failed in my workplace. I yelled at my kids last night. I struggled with addiction. I I gossip too much. I worry too much. My children are walking away from faith. I don't know if I'm really a Christian. I don't know if God is pleased with me. Church, if you have faith in Jesus, you are a member of, of God's household. You are an heir to God's kingdom. You're a citizen of his kingdom. You are a bride of Jesus Christ. You will inherit the world if you trust in Jesus. His righteousness is yours. And God is pleased with you beyond your imagination. Faith is the distinguishing mark of being being included into God's family. And when your faith weakens, it, go, it comes and goes in ebbs and flows, and when our, in, in the moments of our weakness, we need to exercise our faith. We need to strengthen our faith. We need to take it out and exercise it. How? 
or we look to the father of faith, Abraham, uh, he shows us, according to the Guinness, World, uh, Guinness uh, Book of World Records, um, the oldest person to conceive and give birth uh, in the world uh, is, in 1997, a woman named Dawn Brooks of England. Uh, she was 59 when she gave birth. 59. That's a, yeah, that, that is a world record. <laughs> now consider Abraham's situation. You know, you might know of couples who have tried and tried and tried. You know, they don't, they don't have kids for years, and then they miraculously have a kid later on. But Abraham, in chapter 17, was 99. And Sarah was 90 when God promised them a child. 99 and 90. They know that they're barren. They know that their body's as good as dead, as he says. But we get a glimpse of what went through Abraham's mind when God promises, this, uh, 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 promises an heir in verse 17. He says, The God who gives life to the dead and calls into beings that things uh, that were not against all hope. Abraham in hope believed, so became the father of many nations. Abraham didn't just believe. He believed for a reason. He reasoned to himself that this is possible. How? Well, he did two things. He believed in God. He believed that God can give life from the dead, right? He didn't know, he didn't have the Bible, he didn't have the, the resurrection or whatever, but he knew that it's God who gives life to everyone, that all life comes from him, that, that, that if that's the case, maybe he could give life uh, from this dead womb, from this dead body. Secondly, he knew that he was the creator, out of, God was the creator out of nothing, one who calls into beings things that were not. When he looked at the world, he knew it was God who created things out of nothing. So he reasoned to himself, if God can create things out of nothing, surely God can bring a child through us. He reasoned and trusted God. Friends, often think, we think that their faith is end of reason. It's not. It's not. Abram's faith began uh, when he looked, uh, when he stopped looking at his situation and started looking to God and started to reason with God in mind, with what God had said in mind. His reasoning is, faith is reasoning, looking at God and who he is and the promises that he has made. That is our faith. And for us, we have all the more reason to trust in God, right? You know, Abraham, we think, um, had these close encounters with God. Surely he believed. But, I mean, you know, he probably saw God a handful of times. But we know what happened to the story of Abraham. We know what happened in the story of Israel. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, and the fact of his resurrection. We have the testimonies of one another in the church history and how God has sustained uh, the church throughout the world. We know that God is trustworthy. We know we can trust him 
with his promises because he is faithful. It's never unreasonable to trust in a trustworthy person. It's never unreasonable to trust in the trustworthy God. So in times of doubt, in times of difficulties, I hope you will take out your faith and you will start reasoning. You will hold on to the promises that God has revealed through his word. And you'll reason to yourself, God will fulfill his promises. He will do it. He is trustworthy. But as important as growing in our faith is as we end, I don't want to end there because ultimately this passage isn't about growing our faith. It's about faithfulness of God, how God has provided this amazing grace to all those who believe. And your, even your small faith will save you. Pastor Tim Keller, Pastor Glory, a couple of weeks back, um, I've been benefited, uh, I've benefited from his ministry enormously. Uh, but one uh, illustration that he tells about faith sticks to my mind. He says, imagine two people walking through the middle of the Red Sea during Exodus. Could you imagine the walls of water? Imagine two people. One person is deathly afraid. He's looking around left and right. He's seeing the wall of water, and he thinks, oh, this might collapse on me any minute. And so he hurries, and he tries to get to the front of the line, so he wants to just zoom through the Red Sea. The other person is there too. This other person is singing the entire way around. He can't believe what he's seeing. God has parted the Red Sea, and he's singing God's praise, being confident that God, who has parted the Red Sea, will make sure that it continues to be there until God's people have crossed. He asks, which one of the two was saved? Well, the answer is both. Both went through. The both were saved. It's not the strength of your conviction that saves you. It's God who saves us. It's God and what he has done for us that saves us. Friends, if you have faith, even a faith of a mustard seed, if you have this faith that hold, that makes you turn to Jesus, that turns you look, turns, uh, makes you turn to look at him again and again, even if your faith wavers, even if you sometimes aren't sure as, you, as long as you're looking at Jesus, it's not that your faith saves you, it's God, this great God and his faithfulness, his promise that will save you. So you'll be included, and when you have faith, you'll be included into God's family. You will inherit the new creation. And as you spend your time in eternity, in the new creation, every day of your life, I imagine you will say, I can't believe I'm getting this, the new creation that I don't deserve. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the rescue. 
through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that by faith in him, as we turn to receive this free gift, you give it to us freely, even as we waver. But Lord, help us. Lord, strengthen our faith. Help us to reason with the Bible in our hands. Help us to reason with your promises in our minds. Help us to see your greatness that what a great big God that you are. Help us to see the goodness of your promises. So even as we waver, even as the world um, attacks our faith, even as the situation makes it difficult, Lord, help us to see through the lens of faith and help us to grow in our faith. But, what, but Lord, we thank you that it's not our faithfulness, but it is your faithfulness that saves us. We thank you that it is by grace and not works that we are saved. Help us to hold on to that faith until the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.